Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we can be joined together via a live stream worshiping you. Lord, we thank you for the preaching of your word. We ask you now to come and bless this, the preaching of your word, that you would, for some who have heard your word preached or have read your word, and yet it has been, um, that exercise has not illuminated to their heart the truths contained therein. Father, we pray right now that you would turn the lights on in all of our hearts this morning. God, we want to thank you. Christ is risen. It's why we do what we do this morning. It's why we preach. Lord, we pray right now that your spirit would come and speak to each of our hearts this morning. In your great name we pray. Amen. Well, I'm here at Trinity Community Church inside the building, and I'm thrilled to preach this morning about the resurrection. And you are there, gathered in your living rooms or wherever you might be in your home, and I hope that you're leaning in, desiring to listen to the preaching of God's word this morning. But the real issue is, not that I'm here preaching and not that you're there listening. The real issue is, is what are we going to do with it? Or what are the implications that Christ is risen from the grave? Because the resurrection wasn't provided just for our information. The resurrection has been given, provided for us, for our transformation. It doesn't exist for a once a year Easter egg hunt or jelly beans or Chocolate bunnies, not trying to diss on the fluffy bunny, rather seeking to draw our attention for why Easter exists, that Christ has risen from the grave, and there are implications to that. If Jesus rose from the grave, what difference does that make in our lives? John's gospel, from which uh, Rick just read from, John's gospel was written for us that we might believe. If we were to distill down John's gospel, and if we were to summarize it in one word, just one word, the entire gospel, it would be this word, belief. From start to finish, John writes about Jesus and each story each episode that he includes into his gospel is for that purpose. It's to help the reader to believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Here's just a couple, just a few from the book, just a few examples of that theme. John 3:16, "For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life." John 1, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. John 5, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. John 3, and as Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, so must the son of man be lifted up that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. 
John 11, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. John 17, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who believe in me, Jesus speaking, through their word that they may all be one just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Now Jesus, John 20, did many other things in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's just a quick splattering of scriptures that we could bring from John. His purpose, the reason he writes his gospel, is that we might believe in this man, Jesus Christ, who lived, died, and rose from the grave. So John is saying, that's my very purpose statement for writing the gospel. And when it comes to the resurrection, have you noticed? Some believe, some do not believe. Some celebrate, some disdain. Some worship, some doubt. Some shout truth, while others shout fraud. Some actually go as so far to actually give their lives, to seek to live their lives in the service of Jesus Christ, while others throw up their hands in utter disbelief that anyone in their right mind would do so. The cross And the resurrection of Christ has that effect on people. I wonder, is there anything in history that has exuded more response? Indeed, every person who has heard of the resurrection of Jesus Christ has responded in one way or the other. Belief or disbelief. Truth, fraud. This morning, as we're considering the resurrection, the main point for all of us is that there has been and there always will be responses and implications from the resurrection. So we're going to look at three responses in the text. There's more than three in this text. But for our time this morning, we're looking at three responses in this text of John 20 of his disciples. And we will see there is despair. That's one response. There is doubt. And there's delighting. First, we look at despair. Look with me at verse number 11, chapter 20 of John. But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. Despair. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you weeping? We could could ask the question like this. Why are you in despair? She said to them, they have taken away my Lord and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, woman, why are you? Are you weeping? And so the second time the question comes up, why are you in despair? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, 
She said to him, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have laid him and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, do not cling to me for I have not yet ascended to the father, but go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and that he had said these things to her. Now you've got to imagine that what's taking place here through the eyes of a first century follower, believer, disciple of Jesus Christ. Imagine this episode through the eyes of Mary and Mary, mother of James, Luke tells us, who's also with her. These followers of Christ, let's let's consider what the past week has looked like for them. On Monday, Jesus has ridden in on a donkey to the shouts of people, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. There's praises, there's high praise for this man, Jesus. On Tuesday, he went into the temple and he drove out all those who made the temple into uh, a means to profit on the backs of those who had come to make sacrifices in Jerusalem. The religious leaders had set up tables for them to sell the sacrifices. They were getting rich on the backs of the poor. And Jesus comes to the temple and he turns the tables, upsetting the religious leaders. On Wednesday, he's preaching in the temple and he's being questioned by the religious leaders because he's making profound authoritative statements that he is deity, that he is God, that he is the son of God. And they don't like it. On Thursday, it's Passover. Jesus is having Passover the Last Supper with his disciples. And then there is the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus is weeping tears of blood and he's crying out, not my will, but your will be done to the Father. On Friday, he is crucified on that cross. On Saturday, it's silent. Saturday must have been horrible for the disciples. Perhaps they woke up on Saturday morning not having slept well on Friday night after witnessing the grotesque display of the crucifixion of their Lord. Perhaps they woke up Saturday, rubbed the sleep from their eyes. Perhaps they hoped it was just a bad dream and then reality set in and they realized, no, our Savior, Jesus, has been crucified and he's dead and he lies dead in the grave on Saturday. It's silent. We witnessed his death just yesterday. Imagine the grief in these first disciples. The people had pinned all of their hopes on this man, Jesus Christ. He is the savior, he's the Messiah, he's the Moses figure. He's, he's, he's like Moses who came into Egypt, Moses did, and, and God used him to deliver his people from the Egyptians, from slavery. Moses was that savior, he was that deliverer, he was that mediator. And the people began to put their faith in this man, Jesus, that perhaps he's the one, perhaps he's the Messiah like Moses, who's going to come into 
their area and deliver them from the Romans. They began to hope in him, but on Friday they watched him be mocked and beaten and nailed to the cross and crucified. And they watched as the soldier pierced his side with his sword. And they heard Jesus utter the words that we shared on Good Friday to tell us that it is finished. And now he's dead. And the reality of that death has set in for the disciples. It was Saturday. Silence. Sunday. The first Easter begins with Mary Magdalene and Mary, mother of James. The two Marys are headed off to the tomb. It was customary for the women to go to the tomb of a dead, buried individual and they would anoint the body. They would care for the body with spices. Imagine the grief on Mary and Mary as they make their way to the tomb. Imagine their conversation and all that's transpired in just the last week. There are no lilies on the first Easter. There is no Easter service. There is no joyful gathering of people and singing and celebrating in triumph. Christ is risen. No one is greeting her that morning. Christ is risen. He's risen indeed. No such greeting took place. There's no reason for Mary to wake up that morning celebrating. Jesus is dead. It must have been one of the loneliest walks in all of human history as she made her way to that grave. The man that they looked, in, looked to, the man that they had invested their hopes in, he is the king. They finally became convinced this man is the king. And we want to follow him. And we want to be his disciples. The one who had said he had come not to be served, but to serve by laying, down his, by laying down his life as a ransom for many. The one who had come and said he had come to seek and to save that which is lost. He was crucified. And he lies in the grave. The one who had claimed divinity the one they began to pin their hopes in. They now make their way to the grave to simply anoint the body with spices. This is the same Mary, Mary Magdalene, that Luke 8 records. Jesus delivered this Mary from demons. She knew the Savior. She knew of the Savior's power. She knew of his healing. She is one of many who had gladly followed Jesus because, because they came to believe in Jesus. They became his disciples. Now he lies dead in a tomb. Despair. In so many ways, the Bible, as you're reading it, we can just read over words so easily 
things like, but Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. We, we really don't think deeply about just the level of despair. She stood at that tomb weeping. I don't know if we can fully grasp the despair that we read of here in verse 11. But despair it was, and that was the first response on the first Easter Sunday. The very first response is one of despair. Not joy, not singing, not celebration. No, it was intense sadness. Your life might be full of despair this morning. I don't know what you might be walking through. I don't know where you might find yourself as you're live streaming this morning. You may find yourself in a set of circumstances that has you despairing. I don't know what that might be, but I do know this. The resurrection of Jesus Christ makes all the difference. The first response on that Easter morning was despair. The second response was doubt. Verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked were where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. They were cowering, they were hiding. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. Now, try to imagine that. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad. We'll come back to that when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Luke's account tells us that these words of Mary Magdalene as she came and told the other disciples behind locked doors that these words, his account, Luke's account says, these words seem to be an idle tale to the other disciples. They thought, Mary, Mary's overreacting. Mary probably looked like a mess. She's been weeping. They began to think that she was speaking nonsense. Have you met that guy? <laughs> You've just experienced something incredible, something so exciting. You come and you tell a friend and they just downplay it. Yeah, that probably didn't happen. Or yeah, I've done that too. Not a big deal. They either don't believe it or they just dismiss it, taking the wind out of your sails. I've wondered this week, what would, what would my response have been if I was here with these disciples behind locked doors? What would your response have been? I, I wish I could say, I know, the right, I know the right Bible answer. I know the right, I'll call it Sunday school answer. I wish I could say that my response would have been different from the disciples, but I know me. I can be a skeptic about things. And safe to say that when Mary showed up and she's all emotional, saying she spoke to Jesus, who was crucified on Friday, and I saw, I experienced that. These words seem to be an idle tale to me. 
Perhaps that's you this morning. I want you to know that you're in good company. Christ's closest followers, when he walked this earth, were also the first skeptics. Those who walked with him, those who knew him best, those who saw him perform amazing miracles, those he actually had told, I'll destroy this temple in three days, I'll build it back up. They missed it. They didn't understand what he was speaking of. Those who missed the fact that he had told them that he would rise from the grave, those who knew him best, they were the first skeptics. If anyone should have gotten it, it would have been these for that reason, I like skeptics. Some of you are watching this morning and quite frankly, you're a skeptic. Thank you for watching. I get it. I don't agree with your skepticism. I believe in Jesus, but I understand it. And I want you to see here that in the text, in the word of God, you have good company. People who walked with Jesus are the first skeptics. It wasn't a moment of great faith. We don't read here in the scripture that Mary returned to them and they all shouted hallelujah and praise be to God, he's risen, he's risen indeed. It's not what we read. It wasn't a moment of great faith. It was a moment of great fear. Did you hear that in the text? Verse 19, on, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, they locked the doors because they were disciples of this man who was crucified. They, they were followers of him. They were afraid they would be next. Lock the doors, get into secret, hide. It wasn't a moment of great faith. It was a moment of great fear. They're afraid for their very own lives because we run with that guy. We're followers of that guy and we saw what you did to him. Lock the doors. And I love how Jesus comes to them right in the middle of that. That despair and that doubting. Jesus comes to them in the midst of their human frailties. In other words, he doesn't come to them all as they're all cleaned up. It's not as if Jesus is waiting for them to, to kind of figure it out, to put their righteousness on, put their faith on, and now Jesus will come to them. No, Jesus comes to them in their weakness. And praise be to God. That's why I love skeptics. Because Jesus comes to us in our human frailties. He comes to us in our weakness. He comes to us when we're despairing and doubting. He doesn't come to us when we've got ourselves all cleaned up and we've got our faith on, we've got our righteousness on. That's how some of us think. We think that, oh, okay, I gotta, I gotta get myself cleaned up for Jesus. There's something that I need to do to earn his presence behind the locked doors. And the reality is, is Jesus comes to you right where you're at. And he speaks to you as he did to them on that first Easter. Peace be with you. 
we often think, what do we need to do to clean ourselves up, to then earn the presence of Jesus? And the reality is, Jesus cleans us up. It's his righteousness, not ours, that brings us into the presence of God. Further doubt, verse 24. Now, Thomas, one of the 12 called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. (laughs) What's his response gonna be? What would your response be? I would probably be a lot like Thomas. But he said to them, this is Thomas speaking to the other disciples, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Remember John's big point of the entire gospel is this word, believe. And here, one of the disciples is saying, look, unless if I can touch it, I won't believe. Eight days later, Verse 26, eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. And although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Submit to you, that's what they needed to hear at that moment. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put out your hand and place it in my side Do not disbelieve, but believe. And Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. How kind, how kind of the Lord to reveal himself to Thomas like that. He doesn't come to Thomas saying, Thomas, what's wrong with you? Weren't weren't you my disciple? He doesn't come laying guilt on Thomas. He doesn't come to, to downplay Thomas or to speak negatively to Thomas. Thomas, where's your faith? You know, some say of the resurrection, perhaps you're watching and you're, you're of those that would say, you know, I just don't believe this stuff. I don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus. I believe it was invented by men. It was a story. It was a, perhaps you're watching and you're, and you're thinking it was a story, right? It was crafted by these disciples to propel Christianity forward. But if that was true, wouldn't they have written a better story about themselves? When you read the Gospels, you begin to see just as they write of themselves, they put themselves in a horrible light. You would think that if they created or crafted the story, they would put themselves in a better light. That's how I retell a story. The story tends to get bigger. I've literally had to stop myself in the middle of a story and say, wait a minute, I'm exaggerating. If you were Peter, a lifetime hardened, tough fisherman, would you include episodes of yourself denying Christ three times? Cowering in fear? 
Now, you'd probably write something like, after the crucifixion, we went about our lives full of faith, trusting that Jesus would return. They didn't write anything like, we knew it would happen. He told us it would happen, and we believed. No, here's what they write of themselves. We locked the doors for fear of the Jews because we knew Some skeptics would say that the disciples were hallucinating a risen Jesus. I mean, they've been traumatized. Maybe they all hallucinated something. Maybe they thought they saw Jesus. But do we really think that all of them, all of the disciples, would have bought into all of their hallucinations and bought into their hallucinations to such a degree Listen, if you're a Christian this morning, do we really want to pin our faith that these men had hallucinations to such a degree that Christianity has spread since that time? Do we want to pin our hope on or be skeptics in such a way that we would say they all had a hallucination, all of them, to the degree that all of them would then go on to spread Christianity And most of them would go on to die a martyr's death. Would one of them, at that point of dying a martyr's death, said, hold on. I don't believe. Listen, you can be watching this morning, and I want to say to you again, I understand your skepticism that Jesus rose. But can you understand my skepticism that I don't buy that these guys were hallucinating all of them and that they would go on to die horrific deaths over a hallucination? You have to admit that's, that's far-fetched. You see, everyone believes something. I believe Christ was and is the son of God and that he rose from the dead. Some believe that's ridiculous. There must be some other explanation. Jesus could not have been real. Okay, maybe he is real. Maybe, maybe he was a, a real figure in history, but there's no way that he rose from the dead. The whole story's been made up. Some would say, maybe, maybe they stole the body. That's it. The disciples stole the body. But why would they go through all that trouble, steal the body, hide the body, and then go on and die for a lie? It's said of Peter that he was hung upside down because he didn't view himself worthy to die in the way in which his Savior died. You think if that was a lie, he would expose the lie? or the others the same. Others say, okay, I believe in Jesus. I believe he lived. I believe he died. And maybe I even, maybe I believe he rose from the grave, but I can't live for him. I've done so many things wrong. Tim, if you only knew what my life has looked like and all the things I've done wrong and all the sin that I've committed, how I've messed up my life, how I've denied him, how I've disowned him, how I've sinned against him. Friend, that's Peter. What about all that I've done? Jesus doesn't want me. The church won't accept me. That's why I love this first Easter account. I mentioned to you earlier, Mary Magdalene 
was the first one to go to care for the body. She was the woman in Luke 8 that drove, that Jesus drove the demons out from her. It's Luke 8 that Christ comes to her and to others to reveal himself. I am the light of the world. And now she comes. He's the light of the world. He delivered her from her darkness. And now she comes in the darkness of the morning, early, early morning on that first Easter morning. It's still dark. The one who had delivered her from her darkness, she now comes to in the darkness. Jesus, the light of the world, brought light into her world. But on this morning, it's darkness. And she witnesses the dawning of a new creation. The light of the world has risen from the grave. How beautiful is it that the first person he reveals himself to is a woman who was once filled with demons. You say, you don't know all that I've done, all the mess I've made of my life. Oh, Christ invites you to come and explore this Savior who lived and died and rose from the grave to bring you forgiveness. We are all a mess outside of Christ. Jesus comes to her and Jesus comes to you and Jesus comes to me and he pays for our sins, all of them. And with his death, he cleans us up and he gives us a new life. It's the dawning of a new creation. That, that's what we celebrated on Good Friday just a couple days ago. He paid my debt to Telestai. Paid in full. It is finished. That's the point of the cross. The point of the resurrection is to say that the father accepts the son's sacrifice. And the truth of the cross, forgiveness, is declared and it is demonstrated in the resurrection. The point of the resurrection is for us to say, whoa, he is who he said he is. He is Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior, risen from the, the grave, Son of God. And on that first Easter, the response, well, it starts off not so good. First response was despairing. There's weeping. The second response was doubting. There's cowering, there's fear, there's hiding, there's doubting. But then there's a third response. When the despairing and the doubting turn to delighting. Verse 20, again. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Sometimes when I'm reading the Bible, I just think, wow. You talk about an understatement? It just kind of reports without a whole lot of, well, there was no exclamation points in the original language. Then the disciples were glad 
Exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. You think so? You think they were glad? You think they were glad when they saw the risen Lord, their savior? You think they were glad after all the despairing and all the fear, after, after seeing their savior, the one that they had pinned their hopes on, die on the cross and they thought all is forgotten. Oh, we, we invested our, our lives in this man and now he's dead and gone. You think they were glad? when Jesus stood before them in that room, they were glad, delighting. The Savior had risen from the grave. They went from despairing, they went from doubting, and now they're delighting. There's been ups and downs. There are ups and downs in your life, in my life. Listen, anyone who says to you, Christian, come, come and be a Christian, follow Jesus, and, and your life will turn out all smooth and rosy. Well, they're lying to you. <laughs> Christianity is difficult. The Christian still experiences times of despair, times of doubt. There are ups and downs in the Christian life. There's still difficulties. It's not as if Jesus comes into your life and now everything is just a smooth paved road as we walk out this life. That's that's not Christianity. It's not a religion of endless elation. It's not as if everything now goes right for the Christian and everything goes wrong for the non-Christian. No. There are times of great discouragement and sadness, and even doubts. But there is a resurrection. Jesus rose from the grave, and the implication of that resurrection is that whatever it is that we are facing, we can always go back to Jesus rose from the grave. In all of our despairing, in all of our difficulties, in all the ups and downs, We can always go back to that truth. Christ rose from the grave. And that makes all the difference in this life. And it makes all the difference in the life to come. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians that that we have a hope of our resurrected bodies because we look back to his resurrected body. We too will one day die, but for those who have put their trust in Jesus they too will rise and be with him in eternity. Now, I love how honest the Bible is. Real people with real problems and real despair and real doubt, and Jesus comes right into that living room behind those locked doors, and he intersects with the people at their worst. Then and now, are you despairing? Are you hopeless? Are you doubting? Let the resurrection fill your soul with enormous joy and delight. Christ has risen from the grave. I love how Jesus comes to them and stands right there among them and says, look, look here, look look at my hands, look at my side, look at my feet. I want to ask you, 
if you're despairing, have you looked at Jesus? Not from a distance, not from, not from a religions class in a university, hearing from a professor. Have you, have you looked at Jesus? Have you explored Christianity? If you're doubting, have, have you looked into Jesus? I mean, really looked. I think the implication, one of the implications of the resurrection is that we look as he called his disciples to look in that day. Why are they delighting? Not because they came up with some great scheme and concocted a story that Jesus rose from the dead. There's no delight in that. No, they're delighting because Jesus is, a, is alive. And his church continues to delight to this day because there are some implications when it comes to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Please join with me and enjoy this video.